One of the most famous passages in all the Bible is where we're going to be this morning when it comes to faith, at least, and that is Hebrews 11, and that's Hebrews 11.1. 1. If you would turn there, please. Some people call it Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. Hebrews 11.1, 1, and I'll be reading through verse 3. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for, and certain of what we do not see. This is what the ancients were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed at God's command, and what is seen was not made out of what was visible. When I was in my early 30s, we went to Tuscaloosa, Alabama to start a church, and I learned a lot about faith from this thing called church planting because we had the temerity, the foolishness, I'm not sure what it was, to actually start a church with six adults, three children, and no outside funding. Now, if faith is being sure of, of, of what you hope for, this taught us about faith because we didn't have anything. Everything had to be trusted God for. That was actually good. Wouldn't want to have to do that with everything in my life, but uh, that was actually good. But it was a hard, hard road. Uh, many ups and downs in this journey of faith that the Lord really, really blessed. And I had, as one of my close friends in that church, the, the church treasurer. His name is Arthur. And, uh, and Arthur was just a great, great guy. And he had a big heart for me. Uh, was always an encouragement. And um, every year... Arthur, without fail, at the end of October, would take me to, to lunch. Now, we would do other stuff during the year, but I knew this lunch was coming because October was, in that church at least, traditionally the most awful month financially for that church. And after October, things always looked grim. And so Arthur was the treasurer. Joseph, it's time for us to go to lunch. And after about three years, I realized something, that I could always tell how bad a financial shape we were in by how uh, fancy the restaurant he took me to was. He's being such a nice guy, I knew that if he took me to a really expensive restaurant, that, uh, that it was bad news. And he's trying to cushion the blow. My heart sank when we turned into the nicest restaurant in Tuscaloosa that day. And we sat down at our table, beautiful place. My heart is pounding. What am I about to see? He's got his briefcase with all the spreadsheets. Finally, he is done with the small talk and the niceties. He pulls his briefcase out, whipped out, whipped out the spreadsheets and says, look, here's the deal. We're not going to make it. Come again. Look at this. This is worse than last year. Remember how hard last year was? Mm-hmm. We just took on some new staff. So we have more to outlay this year. we got a tougher year this year. I want you to know, in my professional opinion, we are really in trouble. Gulp. And I smiled at him like I did every year. I said, now, Arthur, I want you to keep up with all these things. I want you to dutifully report this information to me. But I just want you to know, Arthur, we're going to be fine. How do you know, Joseph? Well, Arthur, isn't, isn't it written in the Bible 
that God will provide for His faithful, Christ-oriented, faith-oriented, ministry-oriented churches? Did Jesus not Himself say that I will build my church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it? Well, yeah, He he did come think of it, Joseph. You know, I said, well, look here, here's the deal. You keep the books, I'll keep the faith. And I want to invite you into faith with me. And, of course, Arthur always came around. Some people sometimes just need a little encouragement, you know, uh, to, to be able to grasp that and, and to come along. Sometimes we need to come alongside our friends and say, come on, come on, we, we can do this. We can, we can do this together. Let's have faith. And that year, when all of it was added up at the end, there was over $100,000 of money left over. But I want you to know, even if we'd come up short, we still could have trusted God. Still would have been God's church. Just would have been a different manifestation of the faith God would have required. I want you to know He would have taken care of His church. Isn't that true? You see, faith is about the future. It's about things you don't see, but faith is only as good as the object of faith. Here's what I desire for my life. I want my faith... And it is not always, but this is what I would like. I want my faith more and more to be in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. And if our faith is in God, and if our faith is based on the reliability of what God has said, then God is going to work through that faith. Here is what this passage is saying. Faith is required for our lives. Faith is required for our lives. It was faith that I needed and that Gina needed um, when she was told by her doctor, one of our dear friends, several years ago that he thought, based on certain things, that she had Hodgkin's disease. So we, we took the t- she took the test. We're going through this together. And, and I'll never forget, sitting in our bedroom, doors closed, windows open, so the lights off, windows open, middle of the day, Colorado, sunshine bright. And we're waiting on this phone call that's literally going to change the rest of our lives, depending on what it is. And uh, our doctor was a close friend, and so he was working to let us know when this, you know, when this will be and... If you're a doctor, by the way, try to make these things happen quick. It's just murderous to wait. Uh, that's just a little aside. Everybody's like, yeah. <laughs> I know you can't make everything work like that. Um, but uh, there we were. And, uh, and you know, I, I looked at Gina. She was visibly scared. And I was just as scared. I just didn't want her to see it. I mean, somebody's got to hide it in that situation, right? And, um, and I'll never forget. She looked at me. She said, Joseph, I, I just need for you to pray for both of us. I'm just really scared right now. And so I did. And uh, and I want you to know, God gave me in the midst of that faith. You know, His his word assures me that He does not withhold any good thing from those who walk with Him. His word assures us that all things are for the good of those who love Him, who are the called according to His purpose. And um, the phone rang. Yes? Yes? Okay. Thank you very much. It's negative. 
Okay, I mean, what are we supposed to do? Do we get up and dance, a jig? Do we? I mean, what do you do, you know? Um, but, you know, even if it would have been positive, God still would have been there. God still would have worked in the midst of that. God would not have abandoned us. It would just been a, a different manifestation of faith about the future that God would have called forth at that time, you see. Faith is a great thing. Faith has a great practical benefits. I mean, as a pastor, you know one of the great things about being a pastor is how blown away I am at you. Because A, there are people with gifts in the body of Christ that I do not possess, and you are beautiful and they are beautiful. I stand in awe of the Spirit's work through you that I could never do. B, as I watch you struggle through life in a fallen world, I have seen over the years and I have seen in this congregation and, and I'm looking over my, the left or your right side for somebody right now who would be exemplify that to me recently. But just how people have walked through all kinds of things by faith, through health issues, through difficult marriage issues, issues with children, issues with children's marriages, financial crises, all kinds of challenges. And faith is such a beautiful thing. Faith in God is something sure because God's love is sure. Faith in God is sure because God's word is reliable and because His promises, though they are not answered in the specific way that we order them up all the time or exactly in the specific time frame, His promises are never broken. That He is a sovereign God, a covenant-keeping God of grace, of relational mercy, who is at work in the lives of His children. And, uh, you know, faith is not just wishful thinking. That's a lot of people when they think of faith, they're like, oh yeah, faith, that's just wishing. That, look, this isn't when I wish upon the star. This isn't Disney theology here. This is about something that has sureness about it on the front end that we're going to take what is sure, take what we know, take what we've experienced even if we've walked with God and we're going to apply it yet again to the future and we're going to stretch out in faith. And it's not wishful thinking, it's sure Verse 1, faith is being sure of what we hope for. And by the way, faith is not just intellectual agreement either. It's not just saying that, you know, you believe something. You know, I could tell you the story about the the people in the airplane with, you know, there's a a parachute and there's an umbrella. Which one are you going to put your trust in? You know, just to say that both will hold you up doesn't mean. Faith is more than just saying something. Faith is actually applying trust to a matter based on what you know. That's biblical faith. It's a personal action of trust based on understanding. Tim Keller puts it this way. It was actually Martin Luther who put it this way first, but I like the way Keller catalogs what faith is. I think it's the most understandable I've heard that faith basically has three component parts, and they are understanding conviction, and commitment. Let me say those again. Understanding, conviction, and commitment. Here's how it works. Faith begins with investigating what is true in any realm. 
investigating what's true and coming to an understanding about something and then once you've gained an understanding about something, bringing that something or whatever it is to the level of conviction, this is right or this is the best one of these that I'm going to choose from. I have a conviction that it's right, but it doesn't stop with just understanding and conviction. It, it has this thing that you've got to commit to it. Because you're not going to know experientially know, which is the, the main Bible word for know, doesn't mean like to kind of know it, like to regurgitate it on a test. It's to know it in your bones because you've experienced it. The, the love of God, for instance, is something we know from what the revelation of God in the Bible says, but it's something we know from experience as well. And Christians exercise faith based on their understanding of God from His Word. They understand something, it becomes a conviction, and then they trust God's goodness. Verse 1, let me read it again. Now faith is being sure of what we hope and certain of what we do not see. The word translated here, the Greek word that's translated being sure of, literally means foundation or support. One scholar states, faith is to the Christian what a foundation is to a house. It gives confidence and assurance that it will stand. What is promised will be delivered. Think about your house. Your house is only as sure as the foundation that it rests upon. If you don't have that surety underneath you're not going to have any surety in that house. Jesus told a parable at the end of the Sermon on the Mount about these things, did he not? He said there's basically two houses. One guy built his house on the sand and another guy built his house on the rocks, rock. And when the rains came and the winds beat upon that house, because folks, that's what real life in a fallen world is about, is it not? It beats down on you. The one that was founded in the sand, it just collapses But the one that's founded on the rock is sure. Jesus' point is, is if you found your life on anything other than Him, it's going to collapse. It's a matter of time. It may be a slow collapse, but it's going to collapse. So this idea of being sure of is that faith has to do with a foundation that you can actually build on. It's something you know, something you can believe in. Faith is being sure of what we hope for. And that little second part, being certain of what we do not see. The word, that's a different word there for certain of. And that word literally means conviction. That we we get past just the sense of a preferential knowledge about something to where we have a conviction about it. And then we have to trust. Then we've got to trust. By the way, just a little aside, can you see the importance of knowing the Word of God in being able to exercise faith? Because see, if you get your thoughts about God primarily from the Oprah show or The View, I don't know what, I don't know what you're going to build your house on. But if we learn the Holy Scriptures, and we will know the promises of God. We will know the mighty acts of God. We will know God's track record. We will know what we can rely on. 
And we, we, we will see over time that His Word is reliable and He does not fail His promises. This passage doesn't just tell us what faith is. It tells us that faith is required. That's that little thing tucked away in verse 2. The ancients were commended for this. The rest of Hebrews 11 is to say, okay, so this is how you have to live to really live a redeemed human life. To live life the way God intends for you to live, it has to be by faith. Here are examples of people who live by faith. Here are radical examples of faith that we can learn and gain windows into what faith actually looks like. But I want to challenge us on something else this morning because we're, we're going to go deeper into Hebrews 11. I'm going to come in and out of Hebrews 11 in this series. I want to challenge us something, on something a little different this morning. And that is that I want you to see that the fact that faith is required is beyond Christianity. That it is just true of human life, period. You cannot function in this world. You cannot live in this world without faith. And you're saying, I don't know about that. Let me tell you something. If what I just said is true, then the difference between people is not whether they have faith or not. It's what they have faith in. That everybody's going to have faith. And everybody's got to have faith to function in this world. Tim Keller gives an example that I think is great. It has to do with how you choose your surgeon. That'd be a big deal, wouldn't it? So how do you choose your surgeon? Well, just as an aside, it's the same way you choose your spouse. It's the same way you choose your job. It's the same way you choose your college. How do you choose a surgeon? Well, let's say you got open heart surgery. You're going to split you down the middle, pull out your heart, do it, or not pull it out, but do, <laughs> do what they need to do. I mean, you know, really dangerous operation here. So you're going to take the yellow pages and go, let's see, that surgeon. I don't think so. You know, I'm going to call Dr. Two right here on the front row or one of my physician friends. And I'm going to say, man, they're going to cut me open. Will you give me the short list of the best surgeons in town? I'm going to go up on horribledoctorsyouneedtoavoid.com uh, and, and see who it is in Jackson, Mississippi that's not, that's, that other people have not had a good experience having their chest cut open with. You know, I want to know. Meaning, I'm going to gain knowledge. Remember the first part of this? It's knowledge, right? It's, that knowledge leads to a conviction, which leads to a commitment, a faith commitment. I'm going to get all the knowledge I can. So I'm going to have my top three or my top four, and now i got to get it down to one, right? And once I get it down to one, I have made a choice. I have made a commitment. It has become at least enough of a conviction that this is the surgeon I want, or at least it's the one that Blue Cross will let me have uh, that I want or something like that. But I do have a conviction. But let me tell you something. I don't have knowledge, really, of whether this is a competent surgeon until they tie that little gown from the back and I lay down and get wheeled into an operating room and they put 
that anesthesia apparatus over my mouth and I am going out of consciousness with my life in the hands of that doctor. That's commitment. That's faith. You understand what I'm saying? Meaning, you can't just reason your way to certainty on everything. Sometimes you got to get to a conviction. Sometimes you got to stretch out and you got to, you can't understand it until you trust. That is one of the reasons that there are people who are not married. There are a lot of reasons people aren't married. But one reason is that there are people who feel like they can reason their way that just through gaining information, they will come to 100% certainty. They will know that person 100% and therefore, no. Let me tell you something. If you've never been married, you don't know that person. Now, mine turned out good, by the way, but you don't know that person until you marry them. Right, married people? Yeah, and this is good, right? Yes, that's right, right, right. Very good. (laughs) you can't really know without commitment life always includes faith you don't know if that person's going to meet you for an important meeting until you're there and they show up or not you don't know if they're reliable you don't know if they're truthful you don't know everything so it doesn't matter there's all kind of faith required in this world I'd like for you to look at verse 3 of Hebrews 11. Isn't it interesting that all these words about foundations and conviction, sure, you know, and then and stretching out toward the future in faith, and then suddenly he changes the subject. In verse 3, he changes the subject, and he suddenly says this, By faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. So that what is seen is not made out of what is visible. You know, um, there is a sentence that we encounter today that I think verse 3 demands that we address as believers. And that sentence is this. You Christians operate on faith. I operate on science. Or, in case you didn't know, that's fact. There's a little bit of pejorative sense in that. That's kind of like, you're stupid. You're gullible. I'm not. And and those same people, and you know, it's a joy to talk to people like this, by the way. Please don't understand. What I'm about to say is not angry. It's not punitive. Hopefully, it's just the truth. But um, what I hear from them when I get out there and talk to people is, basically, they say, you're going to have to, Mr. Christian, you're going to have to give me proof of everything you believe or I am not going to believe because I am based on facts. Well, I would like to say, out of verse 3 of Hebrews 11, okay, you want me to prove it? Okay, I tell you what, you go first. Why don't you prove yours first, empirically, with facts, and then we'll talk about mine. 
you know, I, I would like to be a gentleman. I, I would like for you to prove that there was a sudden appearance of a gaseous ball of fire that, by the way, includes all the matter and energy of all the galaxies that now exist in all the universe we hadn't even seen yet. That that, how enormous is that, in other words, that that ball of fire and gas appeared out of nowhere for no reason out of nothing. And I would like for you to prove that. Because it has the same feel of what I'm saying. In the beginning, God created in the heavens and the earth. I cannot take you back to Genesis 1. I will tell you right now, I cannot empirically prove that God created the heavens and the earth. Can you? That's what I believe. But Mr. and Mrs. Fact cannot do the same either with their viewpoint I mean, I just want to say, were you there? You know, how are you dealing in facts? Well, there is an article in the Harvard Scientific Review recently based on some new observations that we now believe such and such could have been caused by this. And and this, of course, proves this, that, and the other. I'm like, whoa, 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 time out. Do you think based on some recent observations or do you know? You see the difference here? Do you think or do you know? Because you're telling me that until I can convince you to know by proving it empirically, you're not going to believe. And I just want you to to operate on the same uh, set of assumptions and the same rules. Because as long as you think I'm stupid and you're smart, we're not going to have an intelligent discussion anyway. But we might have a very charitable, loving, and intelligent discussion about our worldviews and what we believe. Because you see, it is actually not... Fact versus faith. It is faith versus faith. Welcome to faith, brother. Welcome to faith, sister. Come, let us talk about our faith. You, I'm not telling you you have to believe what I believe. I'll tell you what it boils down to from, from a Christian perspective. Faith in the Word of God versus faith in the current guesses and theories of men. About the origins of the universe, I mean. And that's what Hebrews 11.3 is about. It's about a theory. It's about a guess. The best educated guess you can make in 2011. I wasn't there either, and I can't prove it empirically either. And I don't mean to be uncharitable, but I think it is helpful to point out that last time I checked, science itself is based on observation, causality, the measurement of effects that are caused, the measurement of causes that affect, the relationship between causes and effect. As believers, we love science. We're not threatened by it. It's just dissecting the creation. Harness it for the glory of God. Subdue the earth, brothers and sisters. It's great. But you know, all that's built on a kind of logic. And I just hate for somebody to build their entire worldview on something that, to begin with, is not empirical and, secondly, not logical. Now, you may not believe in God, 
But last time I checked in the dictionary, the dictionary, not the Christian definition, but the dictionary definition, if there is a God, is that He is an all-powerful, all-knowing, all-everything being. Whether that God exists or not, that's who God is. It is not illogical to say that an all-powerful being could create out of nothing something. Now, whether you believe that or not, that's a different matter. That is not illogical. It is highly illogical for somebody who measures causality and effects for a living to say that suddenly out of nowhere something came for no reason. Then the one I love, check Richard Dawkins in The God Delusion, the one I love is that the universe is eternal. I'm like, and I want to say, oh, that is so interesting because that is exactly what you say that my fairy tale about God is. So why is it that I can't say that somebody is eternal, but you can pull the rabbit out of the hat and evade my question by saying the universe is eternal? Is the universe like God or something? You see what I'm saying? Verse 3 is important here. One translation puts it, We believe... The visible came forth out of the invisible. Verse 3, we, by faith we understand that the universe was formed at God's command. And I'll use that easier translation, that the visible came out of the invisible. And, and why would God stick, right before he goes into all this personal faith, why would he stick a thing about creation and believing in the power of God and creation at the beginning? I'll tell you why. Because it's significant. It's about the entire worldview. It's about all the assumptions we make about what life is like. I mean, for instance, truly, are we just in a far-flung dirt clod traveling through space for no apparent reason? With no purpose? And no real meaning other than that which we assign ourselves to ourselves with, with no transcendent meaning, with no purpose, with nothing to look forward to but the worms. Look, if that's what you want your worldview to be, knock yourself out. You see, I'm not suggesting you go out and tell people they're wrong. I'm suggesting you go out and say, welcome to faith, brother. Welcome to faith, sister. Let's talk about what we're going to put our faith in. Or you might have the worldview that there is an all-powerful God who did in a beautiful and creative fashion create all that is. And, and yes, still creating. The earth is still in a process of, of creation and fearfully and wonderfully made us in His image. And we are fraught with purpose and love and beauty that comes from a designer and a, and, and a God not only of power, but a God of love. And yes, we even go to heaven one day to a new creation far beyond anything that we can see now. And if God is actually that God and actually loved us so much that He didn't leave us to ourselves and our own religiosity, but actually sent His Son to die and take our place to do everything necessary for us to come up into his loving arms into his purpose and his leadership if that god is really god and he wants to lead us he wants to show us how to exercise faith and grow and grow in him this could be very important but no matter how you slice it in this life faith is required in the Christian life. 
to know Christ, to know God, faith in what he's done, not in what you do, is required to live the Christian life, all of Hebrews 11. Faith is required. The question is simply, who or what will you put your faith in? That's something we're thinking about, isn't it? Let's pray. Lord, I'm so glad you're in the universe with power and justice and mercy and righteousness, tender, compassion, long-suffering, and love that we can't even fully describe yet except to, to go back to a horrible sacrifice made on our part. Thank you, Lord, that you are that God. Thank you that your love is reliable. You will never leave us or forsake us. Thank you that your word is reliable and your promises are sure, that you want us to believe backwards and apply the gospel to our lives every day, and you want us to believe forward and live into the promises by faith. If you've never put your trust in what Jesus has done, and you'd like to, just pray with me. Lord, I, I see it. And I want to turn from everything I've called religion. And I want to put my trust in what you've done on the cross for me, Jesus. Thank you that even now you've come into my life. Even now I'm forgiven. Even now I'm yours. Lead me, Lord. And Father, I just pray for those of us who've walked with you, and yet the tenor of these things is... Is so amped up right now. And I pray specifically for our, our believers who are being intimidated to give up a faith that's not even adequately represented by the other side. Lord, we pray that we would see and others would be able to see that it's faith versus faith. Lord, thank you that as we walk with you, one day we will step into the new Jerusalem and rejoice forever. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.